that it for our songs? Okay. First, yeah, okay, I skipped myself. Oh! That's my, my bad. I always try and read and then a song, and then that doesn't tie that sermon to make it that longer. But uh, anyhow, well, we can work through this. I enjoy reading my Bible, and, and I'm sure everybody else does. But First Chronicles chapter 28 um, really does tie in nicely when we think of looking at um, the early church that the writer of Hebrews is addressing. Um, whenever I, I approached the life of David and I was trying to think of where, where we would, could park um, that would be a huge encouragement to this early church and what they were facing... Um, persecution, oppression, martyrdom, all the, all the things that, that, that God had them walking through by faith. Um, it's real easy to look back on life and have faith, look back and remember God's faithfulness, look back on, on how God led you through things, but it's, it's very much different when you're facing it in the immediate, Right? And, and you're going, Lord, I, this is taking everything out of me, and I, I, need, I need this. I, I'm learning this, and it's quite a bit different. So here in First Chronicles chapter 28, we're looking at the end of David's life. Right? David is getting ready to, he's tidying up some loose ends. He's, he's ready to hand the, the throne over, over to Solomon. And in First Chronicles chapter 28, we see David reflecting on his life, you know, and, and he's remembering um, standing on God's promises. That, that's going to keep coming up this morning. But it really addresses what he's learned through that. And, and it's huge. As I spent time in it myself, it'd be huge for the early church. And I just want to read it for you and take from it there just really how important it is. David here in this chapter is around 70 or 75. Quite often we don't think of, of ages and, and whatnot, but as an older gentleman looking back, he's going to speak some wisdom into, into what faith looks like. And it says this, verse 1, Now David assembled at Jerusalem all the leaders of Israel, the officers of the tribes and the captains of the divisions who served the king, the captains over thousands and the captains over hundreds and the stewards over all the substance and possessions of the king and of his sons with the officials, the valiant men and the, all the mighty men of valor. So all the important people of the nation are there and they're gathered. Then King David, right in the picture, 70 to 75, right? Then King David rose to his feet. I don't know whether he was spry and then he still there had the days of his youth. But I imagine there, this was an older gentleman getting up, rising to his feet, and there was a hush came over, over these men, ready to listen. And he says, Hear me, my brethren and my people. I had it in my heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord, for the footstool of our God, and made preparations to build it. And that's where we're going to be this morning in Second Samuel chapter 7. But God said to me, you shall not build a house for my name because you have been a man of war and have shed blood. However, the Lord God of Israel chose me above all the house of my father to be king over Israel forever. For he has chosen Judah to be the ruler. And of the house of Judah, the house of my father and among the sons of my father, he was pleased with me 
to make me king over all Israel. And here's a time of obedience. David is pleased before God, or he, he is pleasing before God. And all of my sons, verse 5, for the Lord had given me many sons, he has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. Now he said to me, It is your son Solomon who shall build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. Moreover, or, or in addition to what I have already said, I will establish his kingdom forever. This is the second time we've read that. Forever, if he is steadfast to observe my commandments and my judgments as it is this day. And we're back to faithfulness. We're back to obedience, right? That, that if. Now therefore, in the sight of all Israel, the assembly of the Lord and in the hearing of our God, be careful to seek out all the commandments of the Lord your God that you may possess this good land and leave it as an inheritance for your children after you. Be careful to seek out all the commandments of the Lord. It's a crucial part of any believer's walk, any, any generation's walk. As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve Him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intent of the thoughts. If you seek Him, He will be found by you. But if you forsake Him, He will cast you off forever. It was hard not to park in, in, in this verse. But I just want to read it this morning. Consider now. Right? Make your choice as you listen. For the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Solomon, be strong and do it. Then David gave his son Solomon the plans for the vestibule, its houses, the treasuries, its upper chambers, its inner chambers, and the place of the mercy seat, and the plans for all that he had by the Spirit of the courts of the house of the Lord, of all the chambers all around, of the treasuries of the house of God, and the treasuries for the dedicated things. This was a well-laid-out plan. Right? This was God's plan. Solomon was to be part of that. What a precious thing for this older gentleman. We'll just end there. Um, what a precious thing for this man to reflect back on. Promises. God's faithfulness. Decisions. Giving, giving the next step to his son. And it's with that in mind that, that I had myself turning back to 2 Samuel chapter 7, when this was actually taking place. When David was in this place of, of being moved and there were a lot of things going on in the kingdom, what was leading him forward was indeed his faith. What was leading him forward was, was, was realizing that, that God was God and he had, well, he had a plan that was before him. So I'm just going to pray. We're going to ask God to, to guide us in our time together through 2 Samuel 7. And uh, we should be out in decent time. <laughs> Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you. Thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for, 
for new life that you give us in Christ. We thank you for a life that you give us. Lord, we thank you for grace. And Lord, I just pray as we, we look at the, this moment, um, this season of David's life, I pray that we can see, see your hand at work. Lord, we can see eternity and where we stand before you. Lord, we can see Christ in and through this, this narrative. Lord. And I just pray that after our time is, is done here this morning, Lord, that we would look, we would look to you differently. Lord, that you would change maybe some of the things and perspectives that, that we have going on in our hearts. Lord, and we find ourselves maybe spiritually refocused, Lord, on who you desire to be and what you, what you desire to do with our lives. Lord, there will be lots of, of thoughts, lots of points here, but Lord, I just pray that the focus is on you. Lead us in this time. Just pray these things in your precious name. Amen. So as I sat down and, and, and began to, to study, I mean, it was an ongoing thing with our trip to Ontario and then coming back, lots of time to think and, and it was maybe a little bit uh, hard to, to, to park. Um, but I parked. And whenever it comes to, to God's, God's servant David, David always seems to be a ray of, of hope for someone like me. Whenever I look at, uh, at the life of David, just when David, it seems like he understands what it means to live obedience and, and, and he understands what living by faith means, it seems as if his humanity shows up. Right? And, and there's a mistake made. There, there's a thought. There's an aspiration. He gets heading in the wrong direction and we see, we see God park him. Right? We see God sit him down and explain to him the error and we find David quick to repentance. Right? So that's a, a ray of hope for someone like me who, whose humanity shows up way too much. Why are you smirking, Krissa? Anyway, my, my wife's agreeing, agreeing with me, and I think we can all agree. But David, David is real. He's a real man. Um, he goes through his real struggles, and, and his learning how to live by faith is very real. And it's beautiful to find David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. It's beautiful to find him in a time of obedience. Right, Second Samuel here is, is and, and we'll step into it here in a second, but here, here is where David has the desire to build the temple of the Lord. There, there's been a lot of things taking place going through. If you were to come back to Second Samuel chapter 1, Saul and his sons have just perished. Um, they were killed in battle. You see David writing that, that wonderful song. We see a, a horrible civil war taking place in chapters 2 and 3 between Abner and Joab. It's just a, a bloody, wicked mess amongst God's people. We see David being a, a, not anointed, but, but kinged, uh, put in, in as king of over all of Israel. We see David um, taking and conquering Jerusalem from the Jebusites. We see David bringing the Ark of the Covenant to the tabernacle that David had, had put up there in Jerusalem. And uh, we know the story well that David danced in front of the ark. Right? There was a lot of, lot of things leading up to it, but this was a time of obedience. Um, David had been, had been in the, the right place and following the Lord, and, and God's people were now in a, a place of following God's anointed. But the focus of this passage this morning in 2 Samuel 7 the focus of this passage of Scripture this morning is Christ. 
The focus is on Christ. The focus is on the Messiah who is coming that's promised. And the focus is on God's eternal promise of His reign. Right? We, we know Christ, every, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. It's all pointing towards Christ. And the more you begin thinking about that, even back in this time, 9 995 B.C., 3,000 years ago, the emphasis being on Christ, you begin to understand what a crucial part of our Christian faith that is. Right? Christ. Promise of Christ. His His eternal rule. His return. It's a crucial part of our Christian faith. Especially when we're facing trials. Especially when we're facing tribulations, facing oppression, persecution, and then I think of the early church and the martyrdom and the things that they were facing. The early church, again with Hebrews 11, the early church had to remember that God's sovereignty surpasses anything that can happen to them. Right? And amidst all the things that were going on, God's sovereignty is above anything that could happen to them. We mentioned a little bit in men's Bible study about maybe not quite understanding the persecution and the different things that go on with believers. But we understand what Christ went through on our behalf. We understand that the Bible calls us and explains to us that the Christian will suffer for our faith. And it's important to take notice that our eyes need to be fixated on Christ for these times. The church had to remember that God's sovereignty surpasses anything that can happen to them. The early church had to remember that God's plan of salvation was from the beginning of was from before the foundations of the world. Right? That's when God's plan of salvation uh, began. God, God knew that his son, um, way before David, way before Abraham, God knew that his son was going to come to this earth, be born as a baby. He knew, and it was part of God's plan of salvation, that He would live that perfect sinless life. That He would go to the cross. Why did He go to the cross? Because sin needed to be paid for. Right? Sin needed to be paid for. God is a holy God. And He went to that cross willingly on behalf of my sin, your sin, the sin of the world. The early church had to, had to remember in the midst of what was going on that Jesus Christ died and that when we come to that place of seeing that we're sinners, believing that Jesus Christ died, He was buried and rose again on the third day and we, we place our faith in Him and we commit our lives to, to that new life in Him, they had to remember that that was planned before the foundations of the world. It's really neat when you start seeing that come out of this text and and this promise that's given to David. How often in the midst of struggle do we forget and we desperately need to come back to that we are His. And that was was again the God's plan of salvation before the foundation of the world. And as I thought just a little bit, and I I won't dwell too much on that, but but the early church and what they were facing, the persecutions and the oppression and the martyrdom, I am sure there were many moments in the early church when all they had left, believers just like you and I, all they had left in this, this world was turning back through the pages of Scripture, right? Back to God's 
promises, God's promises to David, His people, to Abraham. The God who does not change has said that Christ will come. Christ will return. Christ will reign. I'm sure there was many instances where the early church, when all they had left was standing on those promises. That's when we begin seeing the significance of, of the covenants of God, God laying this out before His his people that God had given. So it is in 2 Samuel chapter 7. The parallel passage for this is 1 Chronicles 17. We find David in a time of obedience, which is beautiful because he's very human. Verse 1 says, Now it came to pass when the king was dwelling in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies all around, and that's where the obedience comes from, that the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside tent curtains. Then Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. David is in a time of obedience. So in verse 1 we find the king dwelling in his house. We read in the chapters just prior to that that David had prayed um, to the Lord whether he was to go up, and, 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 and God says yes. So he, he goes up to, to Jerusalem after conquering it from the Jebusites. So the king is dwelling in his house in this time of obedience. We found that he's dwelling in a time of rest. Right? The Lord had given his faithful servant rest. The Lord had given the nation rest from all his enemies all around I put in brackets in my notes, enemies from within as well as without. David was not without his enemies as his closest advisors. Right? We know shortly after this point that his own family, the conspiracy and, and the nonsense that goes on for the years to come. He had enemies within and without. But right now in this time of obedience, the Lord has given him rest. A rare thing for David, but God did promise rest for obedience. And that's the season that David finds himself in. We also see that it is in this time of rest, after verse 1 is coming to a close and the time of rest, that we see David's heart move to God's presence. He begins considering the things of God. It's an important part of a believer's walk, but this gives us a real special insight to David's spiritual walk. Season of rest. Right? He, God has given him a, a dwelling place, a house, a beautiful house of cedar, and his heart spiritually has moved to the things of God. This man was walking with God. David's rest gave him time to reflect. Right? David's rest gave him time to pause out of being king and, and, and living life and all the details that go with it. It gave him time to pause and examine. Right? It, was, it, was a, it was a thing that's so important to him. He reflects, he examines, and then he finds himself looking for what more he could do for God. Right? What, what more? I mean, as he was being given more, he, he really felt that God, God should have more. It made you pause, and again, I won't get into it, and it's amazing how all these different lessons tie in, but, but several weeks ago when we talked about idolatry being the compromise of the heart, 
setting God aside just once and then, and then find how easy things take God's place. Right? You look at obedience. And obedience makes God first. Obedience makes God priority in all things. And we find David in this time of rest not trying to fill it with things that, that, that have nothing to do with God. Not trying to fill his time of rest and his extra time with, with things that, that make him feel good. We see his heart move to the presence of God. The dwelling place of the ark. It's in verse 2 that we see that the king said to Nathan, and it's a time of obedience, time of rest, time of blessing. The king said to Nathan, the prophet, God's messenger, See now, I dwell in the house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside the, the, the tent curtains. David finds himself looking at his own house. He's looking at his own house. All that, all that God has given him because of obedience and there's something not right here, right? There, there, there's, something, there's something out of, out of balance, and it really is a neat thing to, 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 to look at and dwell on. Turn back a couple pages to 2 Samuel chapter 5. I'm a builder. Um, I wanted to know what his house looked like. <laughs> Just, I mean, if he's dwelling in a house of cedar, I mean, what, what does that mean? What, what does that look like? And it's in 2 Samuel chapter 5, beginning at verse 6, that we see how David acquires this house. Because it wasn't just the focus on the house that David is pulling up. It was the process of getting this house and God leading other people to, to build this house for him. There was a lot going into it. Verse 6 says of 2 Samuel chapter 5, And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites. We can go back in the history of the deception and when the, the children of Israel first came into the land, but we won't. To Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who spoke to David, saying, You shall not come in here. You can picture them all forded up in Jerusalem, right? You shall not come in here, but the blind and the lame will repel you, thinking David cannot come in here trying to plead this, this idea that we're unclean and David's not going to bother with this city. Right? We're, 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 we're lame and we're blind. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion. That is, the city of David. Jerusalem was in enemy hands. David came in and, and took it from enemy hands. Verse 8 now David said on that day, this is how he took it, whoever climbs up by the way of the water shaft and defeats the Jebusites, the lame and the blind who are hated by David's soul, he shall be chief and captain. Therefore they say, the blind and lame shall not come into the house. So it is a really neat story how Jerusalem falls and David takes, takes it. There's verse 9 that really caught my attention to do with David's house. Then David dwelt in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built all around from Milo and inward. This is the, the beginning of Jerusalem. This is the beginning of that momentum. Here's his house, verse 11. Then Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and cedar trees and carpenters and masons, and they built David a house. Beautiful. God gives him the city, city of David, city of God, the holy city. This is the beginnings of, of Jerusalem. God provides 
for him this house. The king of Tyre sends him all the builders, the the wood. It it really is a magnificent time for David. So when he says, see now I dwell in a house of cedar, it's including all these things. But it's verse 12. So David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel. He knew. God had been affirming. And that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of, of His people, Israel. God was exalting God's kingdom, His kingdom uh, in Jerusalem, His his kingdom, Israel, for the sake of His people, Israel. If we were to come back to to verse 2, where it says, See now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside tent curtains. You have David looking at his own house. All that God has given him because he's obedient he's in that place david is looking at his own house of cedar and david knows that god has established him as king of israel that's huge when you know that god has put you where you're at and god has has chosen you for this task there it 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 takes things to that next level David knows that God has established him as king over Israel. David knows that God is exalting his kingdom for the sake of his people. God has, is, is God's time is now. He's exalting his kingdom. Being part of God's will and knowing it is important, is it not? In your life, being part of God's will and knowing that you're in God's will is such an important thing. My question this morning would be, as you look at your own life, are you there? Are you, are you there? Do you know that God has you where you're at? God has you participating and doing what you're a part of. Can you say that you're in God's will? Back to David's concern about him dwelling in the house of cedar and God's ark dwelling behind tent curtains. David is looking upon the things that God has been giving him. And he's moved to where the ark of the covenant dwells. Where it rests. Ark of the covenant, the resting place of God's glory. Right? The, 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 visual, the visual, how did I put this here? The visual of God's promised presence. I spent some time in the Old Testament in Exodus uh, and, and Leviticus where God's glory rested on the tabernacle. And when God's glory raised, the people moved. Right? It was a very important visual that God's presence was in the midst of His people. And David's looking at his house of cedar and he's looking at the Ark of the Covenant and he's going, there's something that's not right here. It makes us think, God's presence isn't to be treated casually. Right? God's presence isn't to be treated casually. Back in the Old Testament, they had the ark. Right? They had the prophets. They had the priests. Today, we have the Holy Spirit. Right? We know that's God's presence dwelling within us. And we've been through that as a church. When you place your faith in Christ, you are indwelt. You're sealed. You're, you're led. You start that spiritual life in Him. We have the Holy Spirit that's not to be treated casually. We have intercession. We have prayer that's not to be treated casually. We have the Word. This is how God speaks to us. 
God's presence is not to be treated casually. We have the body of Christ, the church, the need to assemble together. It is not to be treated casually. I just put here, it is really a marvel on how quickly it becomes a Sunday morning only thing. God's presence. It really, really is a marvel. But not for David. David here was a man after God's own hearts. This man had a passion for worship. We see that all through his life from the, the hills of, of Israel and looking after the sheep to the harp, the psalms he writes, the dancing before the ark. This, this, this man had a passion for worship. This man had a passion for God. This man had a desire to do more for God. Right? That's what being on fire for the Lord is. Do more for God. There was no complacency in this man's life. He wants to build God a house. <laughs> right? and, and Nathan says, go do all that is in your hearts. I put in my notes here, try and catch some of the excitement here in David. Try and catch some of the excitement as he wants to move forward in God's kingdom he wants to participate in what God is doing. There is so much more that God's people could be doing together. Right? If we caught just a portion of that excitement of God's presence and what that means to be alive. It's verse 3 that we see that Nathan said to the king, now, again, creative imagination. I'm allowed to go so far with that. But you can picture Nathan, and I think prophets are always old, right? No. No, they're not always old. But you can picture this gentleman, right? And you have an excited King David just on fire and he wants to build. And Nathan going, okay, not every prophet in the Scripture gets to, to serve and bring messages to a king that's living in obedience. Right? This is an exciting time for Nathan as well. Right? David's excited. I think Nathan here is excited. And he says, go and do all that's within your hearts. The Lord is with you. Before I go too far with that, I just want to draw out four biblical principles that come out of a life of obedience. Four that we've just looked at. Number one is God will provide for you when you trust Him. Right? God's providence. Don't ever forget that. And in a time and a season of obedience when you're, you're reflecting and you're examining and you're walking in the Spirit New Testament... God will provide for you as you trust Him. Secondly, God will give you rest as you follow Him. That's important. David did not have an easy life up to this point. Right? A lot of things taken. He had to fight for things. Things always seemed to be, and he wasn't to have a, an easy life following. But God will give you rest as you follow Him. God's plan will work if you are obeying Him. Think about that for a second. God's plan will work if you are obeying Him. So if something is off, if something's amiss, there's certain things that we need to look at ourselves because that plan will work. Fourthly, God will give direction if you are prepared. If you're preparing and, and, and your heart is right and you're reading and you're seeking His will, God will give direction. And we're going to look at that just in a second. Obedience brings God's direction if you are prepared. When you think about these two men, 
Both of these two men knew that God was at work. We see that. We see the, the victory, the, the house being built. We see them both knowing that God has established David and, and established his kingdom where they're at. Both of these men knew that God was at work. Both of them recognized their need to come before God. Come before God. I can only assume, and again this is reading the first three verses, I can only assume that with their hearts ready to serve God, Right? These two men were ready to serve God. We can only assume with their hearts ready to serve God in this way that they were bathing this exciting new idea in prayer. And you can picture David wants to build a house. They're in this great season of worship. Nathan says, go ahead. And I can only assume wanting to serve that they were bathing this, this exciting new idea with prayer. Now as I read through different commentaries, some, some kind of gravitate to the idea that they forget to pray here. Right? And they say, and that's why the Lord shows up. Right? There they, they didn't pray, which sometimes happens. Right? We get excited. Right? An idea comes and, 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 and we're gun-ho for it and we stop, or pardon me, we forget to stop. We don't take it to the Lord in prayer. We find ourselves out and, and making decisions that aren't ours to make when we're supposed to be following what God wants. But as I was reading this, and I kind of laughed because I prepared a message going the other way, the importance of prayer. But then I, I stopped yesterday evening after a lot of hours, and I thought, you know what? What if these two men were doing what they were commanded to do? Right? What if these two men in the, 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 the light of having this new, exciting idea of building God's house because things weren't right? What if they were on their knees in prayer? What if they were doing what God commands the believer to do? And that is take it to Him. Praying for direction. Right? Praying about this idea praying for direction, seeking God's leading, asking for His instruction. It makes verse 4 make sense because the Lord shows up. The Lord shows up and He says to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Would you build a house for me to dwell in? For I have not dwelt in a house since this time that I brought children of Israel up from Egypt, even to this day, but have moved about in the tents and in the tabernacle. First Chronicles 17 says, From tent to tent and tabernacle to another. Wherever I have moved about the children of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? What if these men had been doing what God commands believers to do? Praying. Praying for direction in this. Asking God's leading. Asking for His instructions. And it really is no wonder that God shows up just as He promises to do when His people would pray. Right? He shows up to Nathan. What happens when God's people don't pray? Right? And we see how, how we can quickly get on that topic. What, what happens when God's people don't pray? What happens when God's people don't gather? What happens when God's people don't ask? You see people doing what is in their own hearts. 
Right? And we're back to David's or Nathan's response. You see people doing what is in their own hearts. And it is most certainly has nothing to do with the house of God. Prayer is such a, a key thing. We're commanded to do it. David's commanded to do it. I see these men praying as I, I read it. And then we see again, verse 4, we see the Lord coming to Nathan with the instructions with the directions, with his plan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build a house for me to dwell in? Um, we had read there in First Chronicles 28, he, God said no. First Chronicles 17 says, no, you're not going to. And verse 6, For I have not dwelt in a house since the time that I brought the children of Israel up from Egypt, even to this day, but have moved about in a tent and in a tabernacle. You almost picture God, it was never my intent thus far to dwell in one spot. It was never my intent, or it was not my intent. I moved with my people. I brought them out of Egypt. I, I was that pillar of dust and that pillar of fire. I've been leading them. The tabernacle, His glory. And when He picked up there, the people moved. When He rested, they rested. It was my intent to, to have my presence with my people. My people followed my glory. My people followed my glory. Then verse 7, we see, Wherever I have moved about with all the children of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? All through the time of Judges, David, since the, the time of Joshua's death, have you ever heard me ask the question, <laughs> why have you not built me a house of cedar? Right? It wasn't put before the people. It's when we step into verse 8 that we kind of see a little bit of a, a shift. This is a, a gaining speed. I mean, it's almost like it's leading us deeper and deeper into God's sovereign will here. Verse 8, it says, Now therefore... Thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts. And that would cause anybody to pause. I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people, over Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone, and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and have made you a great name like the name of the great men who are on the earth. Just pause there. Verse 8. It's almost like David is, or God is saying to David, David, I need you to understand something. And there's really a beautiful thing that takes place here. God takes David back to his past, reminding him of, of where he's been, been taken from, before he lays out the future, <laughs> David's eternity, if we, we keep chasing that, right? And isn't that like, like God? I mean, we don't dwell on our past, but when we're reminded of what we were saved out of, when we're reminded of how we were living before, and when we placed our faith in Christ, we're, 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 we see what we're saved from, and then God goes, here, look. Look what I have for you. Right? If you'll follow, if you'll, if you'll seek, if you'll, if you'll allow the Spirit to lead, look what I have for you. 
That's a a tremendous thing for us to to consider as God is laying this out for David. I took you from the sheepfold. From the sheepfold. Who's this speaking of? He's talking about Israel. Where was the the nation of Israel when David, who was out in the sheepfolds there and, 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 and... Um, The prophet comes and calls in all the brothers, and they're all there except the youngest. Where was the nation of Israel at this time? Just coming out of the time of the judges. right? Just coming out of a time where everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. Last several weeks, doing evil in the sight of the Lord. I took you out of that. When everyone else was doing what was right in their own eyes, your heart was doing what was right in mine. First Samuel sixteen seven. I'll just I'll just read it real quickly here. We know again they're in Jesse's house. Samuel is, is in their midst, and that's the verse that says, For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart spiritually. He knows. While everyone else was doing what was right in your own eyes, your heart was doing right in mine. I took you out of the sheepfold. I took you from following the sheep. Right? It's, it's such a powerful thing to consider. Where were the sheep heading at that time? Right? Where was where's the nation of Israel? It was bad news. It was away from God's. It was doing evil in the sight of the Lord. And God says, to be ruler over my people, over Israel. 1 Samuel 16, verse 13 says that God places His Spirit within David, which never leaves. I placed my Spirit within you, David. (laughs) For the very purpose of my people, Pardon me. For the very purpose of me leading my people through you, I have been with you wherever you have gone. And I have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I have made you a great name, like the name of the great men who are on the earth. You, you, you look at that being taken out of that sheepfold, taken away from where the rest of the sheep are following, right? To be made ruler, the Spirit being put in them, and you see what God has been doing in His life. One word comes to mind, and that is grace. Right? God does that in our lives, does He not? Right? He does. One word, grace. And you have to stand there and just marvel at what God can do in a life when they're surrendered to Him. There are a lot of eyes in this text. There are a lot of reminders that God is on His throne. That God is in control. Right? And I don't need to go through that. If you highlight your Bible, just underline it. I have been wherever. I have been doing this. I have. But we reach there, verse 10, Moreover, in addition, I will appoint a place for My people Israel and will plant them that may, they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more, nor shall the sons of the wickedness oppress them any more as previously, since the time that I have commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused you to rest from all your enemies. This would have been music to a shepherd's ears. You take your time through that. God is going to appoint a place for the people of Israel. They've been fighting nonstop. 
right? Non-stop, adversary after adversary, disobedience after disobedience. Finally, they're in this place of rest. God says, I will plant men. They may dwell in the place of their own and move no more. And, and you just imagine even David, who was a little shepherd boy at one time, Goliath. There's never been that kind of peace thus far. Just music that God was going to do this. The last part of verse 11 says, Also the Lord tells you that He will make you a house. I almost think at that point where the also, you imagine Nathan giving this message to him. It's almost like Nathan needed a breather here. <laughs> right? There's a lot, of, a lot of promises, a lot of things. And then all of a sudden there's that, that, that pause. The Lord is going to make you a house. David. Just a huge thing to consider. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish His, his kingdom. He shall build a house for My name and I will establish the throne of His kingdom forever. There's that eternal part again. I will be His Father. He shall be My Son. If He commits Iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And your house, David, and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. We read this covenant, and again, you could just keep stepping into the depths and get deeper and deeper, and, and, and really it would be nice to do a huge study on this. But as we read this passage and we read this covenant, we know that this speaks of Solomon, the, 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 his son, David's son, who is going to take the throne. Um, he's the one that makes the temple. He builds the house for God's name. Um, we know that he has that relationship there with God the Heavenly Father. We know that God chastises him and he loves him. And, and we see that. We also see as we read this covenant that speaks of Christ who was to come. Right? Christ was going to come. The ruler, the eternal kingdom was to come through David's line. Right? And then we're just going to take a little snippet. But this is what makes the genealogy in our gospel so important. But it comes back 3,000 years ago to God's promise to David that Christ would come through His line. As we read this covenant, we know that this speaks to God's unconditional covenant. This was going to happen. This was God's plan. It didn't matter whether Israel was obedient or not. It was unconditional. This was God's plan of salvation that would come through. The Messiah was coming God's way regardless. And really for us today... It emphasizes Christ's return, right? Because we know Christ came, right? We know He died on the cross for our sins. We know that was God's plan. We know that He's returning, right? It, 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 we read it here. We read this covenant knowing that it speaks to God's promise that one day every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King of kings. Jesus is the Son of God, ruler, judge, and He will reign for eternity. One day, everyone will be in that place. Everyone will recognize what was being said here in David's time. 
It's in verse 18. We see David going in and sitting before the Lord. That's a pretty humbling thing. Think of what David has just been told. Think of what David is, is just beginning to understand what was just spoken to him. I, it, it, I can't imagine it. Well, I guess I can because I read it here. Um, I, I am still in that place of awe. Right? It, 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 he, he's moved to go before the Lord and just sit. Right? And that reverent conversation that we read that, that follows here is just a reflection of him understanding what God was promising to him, his people, and all who will believe. Right? He, he comes in and he sits before the Lord and he says, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? We see David digesting all this eternal truth. At the Bible school, they use this illustration of, of drinking from the fire hose. Right? They just turn it on. All this eternal truth. Right? I, 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 again, I only have partial pictures as I continue to study and, and try and, and understand by faith the, the great meta-narrative that, that spans all this. But here is David digesting this. When you pair this with the Abrahamic covenant and the Mosaic covenant, and we won't get into that, we see David grasping how it all points to Christ, points to the Messiah, points to God's plan of salvation. And we see why David makes his way to sit before the Lord. The promise of Christ is all over this passage, and this is the foundations of this man's faith. Who am I, Lord? You ever had those moments? I won't run too far with this either. You just come to that place of, of, of thankfulness. You come to that place of, of maybe you've, you've forgotten or, or you haven't, and you come back to that place of just understanding that, that your sin was paid for. Your eternal life came with a cost. Grace is offered to you. And you just find yourself in the quiet, whether open Bible time of prayer, going, who am I? Oh, Lord God. Who, who am I that you would do this for me? Really should be all of our responses when we begin to understand God's plan of salvation. God's love. God's grace. God's sovereignty is in control of all things. His justice all of God's attributes weave together in order to bring a sinner like me to Himself. It really should be all of our responses. And yet this was a small thing in your sight, O Lord God. And You have also spoken of Your servant's house for a great while to come. Is this the manner of man, O Lord God? And we'll end with this. Verse 20, Now what more can David say to you? David is brought to a depth of reverence that only a child of God in a season of obedience looking 
towards Christ can understand. There's only, only one way that you can reach this place where you say, you know what, God, who am I? Now, this is only a small thing. I don't have time to get into that, but only a child of God living in obedience with their eyes on Christ can say these words. What more can I say to you? And that brings us back to, to what I opened up with. I encourage you to read through the rest of that chapter this afternoon. Read it before lunch. Read it with your spouse, with your family. See how David has moved to that place of seeing God. He's, his eyes are on Christ. He's realizing that, you know what? It's not just about this and now. <laughs> Christ is coming, right? And, and that's reflected through it. God's promise of Christ is the most crucial part of our Christian faith. For the early church, and again, we'll keep connecting that, for the early church and the believer enduring trials today, right? for the believer, everyday believer, going through the, the hard times that God asks us to walk through, know this. God's Word endures forever, and so does His promises. 3,000 years ago, Christ. All through the, the New Testament, Christ. Today, Christ. God's Word endures forever, and so does His promises. A believer in trouble will go back through the pages of Scripture and take hold of God's promises because they are yours by faith. Right? You own these. If you've placed your faith in Christ, these are your promises. <laughs> Treating God's presence is not casual. Right? We need, we need this. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank You for Your promises. I thank You for You. I thank You just for everything that You've done and how hard You try to place the words of truth, Your Word, before us. I pray that if there's anyone here in this room that's struggling, Lord, walking through trials, walking through maybe with questions, maybe you're in that place of, of sitting before God just saying, who am I, O Lord, and they need help to understand some of these truths. I just pray that You would move them to ask. You would move them to open Your Word to begin reading. They would ask the Spirit to help. Lord, I pray that us as a church family would be, be in that place of encouraging each other. And we know that that's what You do in our midst. And we just pray these things in Your precious name. Amen.